You are listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated and joining us, Pete Sampson from The Athletic. It's been a couple of weeks since we gathered, gentlemen, and the Notre Dame players have returned to campus uh, with testing done. Uh, good news, I guess, on that front uh, compared to a lot of other schools. And then, of course, last Friday's event on Juneteenth at Notre Dame, the Peaceful Prayer and Unity Walk. Uh, Pete, you were at that. I want to. I want to speak to you about that. Uh, and then Notre Dame offensive recruiting, which I addressed in, in Thursday thoughts today. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. But just the Notre Dame players return. One player tested positive. Four uh, with with contacting were quarantined. Compared to a lot of other news that we've received, I, I guess that's pretty good news. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're sort of trying to track this from a national perspective, you see what's going on with Clemson, LSU, Kansas State, Houston, Boise State. I mean, there are, there are some programs that have come back and the testing has – the results have led to just shutting the whole thing down again. And that's – I mean, it's a question we never really got answered from Notre Dame about, like, what constitutes success. Um, but I would assume one positive test would would – without a – without doubt be a success um, that they're in position to move on to sort of, I guess it would be phase two or phase three, um, you know, where you can get into larger groups than 10, but that one positive test out of, I think 141 was, that was great news for Notre Dame. I would not have guessed one. I don't know what number I wrote that. I don't know what number I would have guessed, but one in light of the other ones we heard was great news for Notre Dame. That's yes. They are smarter off the field. It was, it was really impressive, honestly. It's a, uh, see, that's what they've been trying about all the time, right? It was just it does, common it sense goes involved in these it, things, it, too. It says something about their common sense or discipline, their parents' common sense and discipline. But it makes me wonder, when I see 23 positive tests at Clemson, and that can happen easily. You just have a few guys around. Yeah, bad you know, luck. Bad a, luck a few is infected, part of it Yeah, virus guys with a, with a few. And But, you know, where do you – what do you – Will schools is Clemson? I mean, would you deliberately infect players at this stage of the summer so that it can run its course? I I, I have a very difficult time uh, I'm grappling with that concept of what's ethical and what should be done. I mean, I, I, I don't. Long term, that's, that's terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, long term, right? The long term lawsuits from that would be. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I understand, like, just from a, uh, a practical standpoint, are you better off if 30% of your team is immune when training camp starts or 0.05%? Like, I, I get that. Um, but I, hopefully, you know, whether if you're if you're watching what's going on at LSU and Clemson and some of those other schools, um, hopefully that's a wake-up call for you about how quickly your season can go off the rails. Because if something like this happens – in September, the outcome is completely different. Um, and yet in not, most, and yet in most instances, work. yeah, excuse me, Pete, I'm sorry. Uh, in most instances, they're asymptomatic. In, in Notre Dame's case, all five, the one that tested positive and the four that had contact with, with someone were all asymptomatic. And so, you know, those players are going to, their, their, their instinct, their football instinct is going to say, I want to play. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's some football coaches out there that would encourage them to play if they are asymptomatic and feeling, you know, healthy enough to participate. Man, I, I, I can't imagine a team saying or allowing that to happen. You know, like if, if Arkansas has five positive cases on Friday before the game, you're going to bring those five to, your, to Notre Dame's campus and put them on the field against your, your team? I, I, just, I just can't imagine that that happening i think it's i think if you if you're a positive test you're out at least a week and probably two um i i, I just think that that's how the season is going to play out and it, that's going to create some incredibly awkward injury reports uh, on fridays and saturdays before games i think what pete said is what should happen i can't imagine something worse happening that's, i can imagine that's exactly a, the a, way a symptomatic positive test being hidden by coaches um the one thing I know the notion, the ridiculous notion of getting infected because they're young and they'll recover and everything. We don't know the long-term effects of actually having the virus, especially if you're symptomatic. Um, they can be a lot more than what happens in the two weeks for a healthy 20 year old that 
develops a chest cough and doesn't need a ventilator, but that doesn't mean his long-term effects aren't there. So there would be criminal lawsuits coming for anybody that thinks that they should be infecting their players. And that's kind of gets lost on message board discussion. But Pete, what you say is the best case scenario that all human beings should go with. Uh, I, I can imagine some coaches won't agree. Yeah. I, I, I just, I have my doubts as well. I, I, I do, especially guys that are playing for a first round draft choice, you, you know, things along those lines. So We'll know. We'll say, I mean, one way or another, we'll know, and that will come out if that actually happens. Um, Pete, you, you know, were at. Put, yeah, Tim, I'm sorry. To put another sure. point on Pete's, on Pete's point, though, you're right, though, Pete, in that they will eventually be caught doing that because someone will know that that player tested positive and played in the game. Like, it, it, it could come out after that team wins its game but it's not like it's never going to come out that he played. So I think that might go to a little bit of self-policing too. You know, you're going to get caught later. So do conferences and, or the NCAA have to, you know, make some, make some ground rules as they head into the season. Hey, I mean, you would hope that everyone, everyone would test on 24 hours before the game or 20. Yeah. The day before the game. And then though you right now we're in a spot where like, we don't need to know who the num- the one Notre Dame player is who tested positive, but right. when you're doing it Friday before the Navy game and then uh, Tommy Kramer doesn't come out. Right. You're going to know, um, yeah. you know, that that's going to be incredibly awkward, but I, I just think that for the safety of like the reason Notre Dame had 140 negative tests is because they were responsible about it. Um, so you need to, essentially a lookout for the other team as well. Um, in addition to looking out for your own roster and your own campus and your own coaching staff, but just, I don't know. I, I would be, I, I guess nothing <laughs> would shock me in college football, but the idea of a coach being like, we're going to hide the positive test of our star player and then put at risk like 250, 300 other people, man, that is, that's, that's tough to, it's tough to stomach even in the cutthroat world of college football. Well, somebody in a position of authority within college football <laughs> slash the NCAA is going to – they're going to have to be some ground rules, specific ground rules made. Otherwise, the people are going to cross that line. Um, last Friday, uh, Juneteenth, the Peaceful Prayer and Unity Walk. Um, I was there. Pete, you were there, correct? I was, yes. Um, I thought it was a. I thought it was pretty powerful. I mean, I thought what Brian Kelly said, um, Dalen Hayes was extremely powerful, uh, persuasive, and passionate. Max Siegel was nervous, <laughs> but but had some things to say. I thought he kind of spoke on behalf of the student part of the student athlete uh, in terms of relating to um, uh, you know from from professor or instructor to students. It was. I thought it was a great moment in my life in Notre Dame history, just in the way that they approach it. It was a unified front as we look across the country. Uh, when you look at, at Clemson and uh, a variety of places, Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy, th- these are not unified fronts, and Notre Dame certainly was last Friday. I thought Dalen Hayes was great. Um, you know, I did a story with him a week ago, and he, he sort of laid out a lot of things that I had talked about with him in his interview, but I think just how charismatic he was um, in terms of talking to a crowd of people that he probably didn't know. Um, I thought, he, like you said, persuasive is probably a good way to put it. Um, it was, I thought it was a cool event. And I, I guess I'm always, um, I'm always struck when like, you know, these college coaches who are often the one voice, only voice for their program and feel compelled that their voice is the one that should be the loudest and maybe is the only one um, that Brian Kelly sort of stood down and sort of let the players lead the way on it, which I think is cool because um, that's that's sort of what the moment calls for. He's been articulate since the first time we ever spoke to Dale and Hayes. So uh, although this is obviously a much more difficult topic than anything we've talked to him about, I am not surprised that Dale and Hayes is a responsible voice on this because I mean, I was, I don't cover recruiting, so I didn't talk to him in the recruiting process. So I'm probably more surprised the first time I hear a freshman come out and handle everything than, than people are that have spoken to them before. But 
I remember the first, I guess Dalen Hayes, the first time I really talked to him was early sophomore season. And as soon as it was over, I turned to Mike Birch, who, uh, who former media relations and I was like, that guy's a future captain, you know, just because of he's a good player that's that articulate and understands everything. Mm-hmm. And now he's a future captain because he 100% is going to deserve to be. I, I wanted to, you know, I mean, uh, and, and Hayes did a great job of, of breaking it down into three parts, a commitment to community, which he talked about, which him and his fiance participate in after he was injured, but how, how different his life would be, wouldn't it? You know, I mean, had he not been injured, he wouldn't be here. He wouldn't have been on that stage at that time. And then commitment to diver- diversifying one's perspective in education. But the one that I wanted to talk about was the third one, accountability for one another, which we've known that that's, that's part of what Brian Kelly and, and his group have tried to establish since 2016. And I, I think it's gone a long way towards winning 33 games in those last three years. But accountability for one another, I, I, I love the concept. I wish I would have done it when I was still coaching in high school, although that may have been too much of a, it was enough to get each, it, it was enough to get each individual to be accountable for themselves, let alone for one another. But on the collegiate level in a place like Notre Dame, I think, I, I think it, I think it's important and I think it works. And, um, you know, I, I think to me, I think that's a great lesson for any team on any level is when you can make yourself accountable beyond yourself and be accountable for your teammates. I think you have a chance to be something really special. And I think the 33 wins in the last three years is a direct reflection of that. The way they're relating it to the current issues, though, is what's really impressive. I mean, I know, it, you know, that's accountability for me. It is a great concept, I agree, but it was also a word that was started being used, and I just took it as football-related accountability. And they're, now they're expanding it into life. And, and football-related isn't only in the field. I mean, they, you know, a lot of it Brian Kelly did with the overhaul of everything in the last three years was like, look, we just let some things get sloppy, and that's where the accountability comes in. But, boy, stretching it to this, I, I was impressed by that. No, I, I agree with what you guys said. Um, I I think it's been a sort of a hallmark of the last three years and it it has as much to do with what they're doing on the field or in the weight room as what they do outside of it. So I think that's, that's all really positive, good stuff. Yeah. You know, and I really, I know Brian Kelly, you know, he's a politician, so it's easy for him to get up and stand up there and talk, but I don't think that he would have to, to, to your point, Pete, stood aside and let the players take the lead, um, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago. No, I don't think. And, and, it, and it, I mean, it was all part of the, 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 the transition and transformation after 2016. And I get that, but it's, you know, it, it's, I, I think he's been very powerful. I think that he handled the pandemic from the beginning very well. I thought with Scott Van Pelt, you know, I mean, he's willing to take on, some pretty heavy hitting topics there and address them head on. And I think that that's, I think it's just been very, very impressive, especially when you see, you know, the outcry against some head coaches uh, from their players. Um, The last, one of the, uh, the last subject I wanted to address in segment one was Nordame's recruiting on the offensive side of the football has absolutely deteriorated since Chip Long left. For example, in the last 250 days, Notre Dame has, has received, unless I'm looking at this wrong and I'm missing somebody, and somebody will correct me whether it's you guys or somebody <laughs> that's listening to this. In the last 250 days, Notre Dame has received an offensive verbal commitment from Pat Coogan and lost a verbal com- commitment from Deion Colsey. That's it. That is it. There's been five verbal commitments on the defensive side of the football. They've completely addressed their cornerback situation, which – I think in turns uh, in turn addresses their safety situation when you combine those guys with the the freshmen that have arrived that arrived here earlier this week. Uh, they have, th- I mean, there's just no other way to look at it. It is not a strong recruiting group on the offensive side of the football, and it is showing up when you have a three star prospect who I think I think Pat Coogan can become a, a you know a, a good college football player, but he, let's face it, that was plan B from your original plan on the offensive line with all the big names that Notre Dame was talking about. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I put together a kind of list of 10 guys that will probably yeah. determine the, the outcome of, of Notre Dame's overall class, and it's 
I mean, it's a lot of three-star guys on offense, whether that's Logan Diggs or Joe Alt, um, Eric Olson. You know, it's pretty much like Rocco Spindler, Jaden Thomas are your, are your four-star heavyweights. Uh, and, and that's kind of about it. I mean, they're, they don't need necessarily a ton offensively, but um, it's been a, it's been a real struggle uh, on that side of the ball. And it, it's, you know, I think we talked about this on this podcast when the chip long move was made that, you know, the, the cohesion and chemistry in the locker room, you got to start with that. That should be your first priority, but you can't sacrifice recruiting uh, and just hope that things will work out. Um, and I would say that there's, in addition to what the coronavirus shutdown has happened, that's that's really hurt Notre Dame. But ultimately, you still have to play Ohio State and Clemson uh, four times over a two-year span in 22-23. And you're going to have to have the material that, to hack it against those teams. And right now, offensively, it's hard to look at Notre Dame and feel like they're going to have it. Yeah, this, your point was start with that. They started with the right things. Cohesion. Uh, into the locker room vibe around the offense. They absolutely had to have those things done. And they probably, I would assume they probably had to make the change from Chip Long. Other, uh, Brian, it's not like Brian Kelly wanted to get rid of the offensive coordinator that was 33 and six with them. But I am, I am shocked that it has been this much of a drop off. And I, I just can't get all, I, I know you got to get to campus at Notre Dame, but I can't, I can't figure it being that much COVID related. Because getting to campus at Notre Dame is also part of doing it in uh, in season. I always take it as seeing Notre Dame's campus in the fall on a game day atmosphere. It's something that really is a draw. I just I am I am shocked that it's bottomed out. This is one case. So they're not, they're not even right losing Colsey and Gating Coogan. That's not no. even Stephen. No. no, and they you know I mean they were they were in on Thomas Fedone. He's a Nebraska lean. They were in on Brock Bowers. He's a Georgia lean. They they tried to force fit profit Brown into a running back and he's really a cornerback and he's going to go to Oklahoma anyway. I don't, I like Jaden Thomas. I'm Pete. I'm not sure that he's a number one future receiver. Uh, maybe oh yeah. Would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, maybe, I, I just think he's Jaden Thomas is uh, the kind of guy that you should get every year. Yes, um, absolutely. And uh, your, I mean, Notre Dame has been signing a lot of receivers, not nearly as good as Jaden Thomas. I, guess I, I, I love Christian Lewis's game. It looks like he's going to go to Kentucky. It sounds, it, it sounds like that's more Notre, nope. Notre Dame not pursuing him hard enough. And look, their evaluation is better than mine, but I think that Christian Lewis is a pretty good football player and could play and be, uh, could be pretty dynamic in Notre Dame. They're looking at three-star running backs. I mean, they are offensively, they are virtually completely shopping down the three-star aisle the rest of the way, unless something changes dramatically. And it's, I mean, it's just a tough follow-up from last year's class where you had Jordan Johnson, Chris Tyree, and uh, Michael Mayer. I mean, that's th- those are the kinds of guys you're, you need to sort of be getting on an annual basis. Maybe not every year, but you know, every other year, um, you know, in the – it's just been, it's been a tough drop off. I'd, I'll be curious to see what goes on with, with Kane Barong. I, I guess I'm surprised that Notre Dame is going after a second tight end in this class anyway, um, just based on numbers. Um, you know, certainly Kane Barron's ranking, if you're into that kind of stuff on, on 24 seven has been sort of consistently trending down uh, over the last year and a half. I'm not really sure what there is to be read into that, if anything should be read into that, or if that has anything to do with going after Eric Olson. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. I think he's undersized, and I think that it's a it's a decision on Notre Dame's part that they need another tight end. Okay. Um, I, you know, yeah, I, tend, I agree, I agree with the sinking of the ranking, for the record. Okay. I do think four tight ends in two classes – is a sign that that's what they believe because they don't do four. They sometimes do two tight ends and no tight ends, much less two tight ends and two tight ends and back-to-back classes. But Pete, the one silver lining, I think, to what we're talking about bottoming out right now, offensive recruiting, is the names you said from last year because I know you need them every year, but if you can just recover a little bit going forward, having Tyree, Jordan Johnson, and Michael Mayer at those three positions, Tosh Baker, and then assuming you can get a, a bigger haul in the offensive line this year, you do sometimes get to look at it from a two-year cycle, and that it won't look as bad in a two-year cycle as it will, in the, obviously, yeah. in the single cycle. I believe in two-year cycle. Uh, I used to write those stories. Kevin Sinclair has picked that up, and we never even communicate about it. But I, I, you know, I believe in that too. But what's the reason for it happening this year? Uh, 
I, I, you just can't blame. Well, you could have two else. good cycles too. Yeah, doing that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's that's ultimately like where we're. I mean, this year we're sort of measuring Notre Dame's season on uh, the Clemson game at home in November and the Wisconsin game, right? Well, two years from now we're going to be measuring it against Ohio State away and Clemson home, and then Clemson away and Ohio State home, and that's that's that is a tough measurement. Um, <laughs> when you're talking about, well, it's a two-year cycle. Because um, Ohio <laughs> State is like, well, we'll have a number one class and a number two class. And Clemson will be like, well, we'll just rotate. We'll be number two and then number one. Uh, that's just it's a lot of material that Notre Dame's going to have to deal with uh, down the road. And it's ultimately nobody nobody on this podcast or, or any other podcast related to Notre Dame ever should, after that game, be like, well, the coronavirus shutdown really, that was the biggest fact. Like, <laughs> that that's just not going to cut it two years down the road. Um, so it's it just Nerim's going to be in a tough spot in those matchups uh, unless something changes uh, on the recruiting front. Segment two, burning up the boards, coming up. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from ND Band 94 Given no spring and not much of a summer for the team, will the offensive line be forced to rotate more players to combat any possible lack of endurance, or can they... St- and they still pick their starting five and stick with them most of the game. The question, I hadn't thought about that angle, the endurance for offensive linemen. Um, I remember joking with Chris Watt when they shut down and were worried about kind of working out what was going to happen, that this really should be the offensive linemen are in the best cardiovascular shape of their lives because they can't do anything else. They should be running around their neighborhood the entire time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that probably isn't what they did. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think about this angle. Um, they have six guys. I think you will see... I'm not sure if ND Band 94 I was thinking about this. I think they were going to pick their starting six and stick with them, and it probably means more rotating for that six man. Because he's yeah, a real six man. He's not just a backup. Yeah, I mean, that's so – Priester, I think you've talked to Reese as well, and, like, he describes Lug as a starter. Um, I mean, it's, it, it, the way they talk about it almost sounds like you're talking about a nickelback um, in terms of, like, yeah, we have three starting corners, even though you only have two on the field at once uh, for the most part. I, you know, in some ways, the defensive linemen they're going against are also not in great shape, right? So I, I don't know, I don't know if this is sort of a zero for some game in terms of uh, being fatigued or needing to rotate. But if I was Notre Dame, I would definitely take advantage of the fact that I have a sixth guy who is really, really good, and I would, I would rotate in a little bit more uh, to sort of help the cause there. Well, and if you, you know, unless you have COVID setbacks, which you know, probably everybody is going to, I mean, there, there are going to have, you know, the preseason is really six weeks as opposed to to four weeks and they are back on campus and they, you know, they, they are in a position to start running around more. And as you said, Tim, um, you know, they should have been, they should have been training cardiovascular. That is the one thing you could have done the whole time. Right. I mean, right. Right. So, I mean, I, I I think it's more along the lines of what you're saying, Pete is a zero sum game. I mean, everybody's in the same boat. I think defensive ends and outside linebackers going against the linemen are a little bit better shape naturally. Than well, sure. Linemen yeah, so no, I get that. Yeah, no, I would say yeah. the big defensive tackles is a zero sum game, but I think Ogundeji is going to show up in a little bit better shape than Aaron Bank. Yeah. I, I mean, that may be true, but like there's a reason they rotate on the defensive line and they don't on the offensive line. And yeah. it's not because those guys, it's not because the defensive linemen are, you know, in superior shape to the offensive lineman. It's just the nature of those positions, right? But I would say, like, if you're a defensive tackle, man, that this is this is not going to be fun. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a rough go for those guys on the interior, I well, think. And in Notre, Dame has, the heat. Yeah. Notre Dame has veteran offensive linemen that know what it takes to prepare for a season, to get through a season. Six starters <laughs> returning. I don't think Notre Dame has really any excuses there. I mean, it's probably <laughs> not to hijack the question, it's probably a good year to have a lot of good quality defensive tackle depth and this is a year Notre Dame actually does they do they do absolutely wash nd uh his question is uh what is more likely in 2020 kevin austin getting a thousand yards receiving and 10 touchdowns or a running back that emerges and gains 800 yards or more um 
I think the latter because they've had a running back emerge to get 800 yards or more every year, except for the Cam McDaniel year. He had 700 um, and he rotated quite a bit, which I guess is part of this question. And then the t- 2010 year when Brian Kelly forgot that he wasn't at Cincinnati and he threw 55 times every game. So I think Tony Jones emerged last year. Someone will emerge this year. And I'm kind of thinking it might be the guy that hasn't run the ball as much as others. But 1,000 yards and 10 TDs is a lot, man. Who's the guy that hasn't run the ball as much yeah, as others? All of them. <laughs> Tyree? Yes, Tyree. Oh, okay. Um, I Yeah, I heavy bet on the second of this, the 800 yards, because that's it's just 60 yards a game. Um, it's not a lot. Um, you could you could run for 800 yards and not emerge. Um, I, I think that yardage total is so low that, I mean, especially like the receiver position, they're starting over. Um, I realize that, but you would hope that it'd be easier to have an effective running game than to get three or four receivers on the same page all the time, even with a veteran quarterback. So it's, I don't know if it's going to be Jafar Armstrong or Tyree or Sebo or Jameer Smith or, I mean, they've had so many running backs. It's not all of them are going to factor in. So maybe that makes it complicated, but I just think that a running back averaging 61.5 yards per game is not that, not that high of a bar to clear. Uh, You know, I think it has to be Jafar Armstrong or it won't be any of the other ones. Uh, but of course he has to stay healthy um, running behind, behind a veteran offensive line. Whereas Ian book is throwing to a, a younger, more experienced receiving core, especially Kevin Austin, who hasn't played in, you know, hasn't played in two seasons. I would, uh, I definitely choose Armstrong. It's a good question because I think that, I think it's, I think it's close. And I think Kevin Austin potentially is potentially certainly is capable of doing that. Uh, Notre Dame has a great pass block, blocking offensive line, so Book should have time to find those, those guys. But uh, again, an inexperienced receiving core, I'd go. I'd agree with you guys. And Tim? I hate to go. I hate to go semantics on it, but a um, thousand and ten is just a lot more than eight hundred. You know, it's like you really got to earn your thousand and your ten. Oh, true. Yeah, it's just a, yeah. it's a difficult. Yeah, true. Pigpen 54, as it stands right now, if Ian Book were to go down with an injury, is it a given that Brendan Clark is the next man in? Uh, I don't know that I don't know that it's an absolute given. Certainly, I mean he's been in the program, so he has a distinct edge. But we know what Tommy Reese said about Drew Pine and what a quick study he is, and um, you know how he's in a a lot of times when he's talking to quarterbacks, I don't know what he's talking about, but Drew Pine d- understands it. Uh, but but Brendan Clark, I I I I don't know that it's a given, but I don't think that there's much doubt that at least now, especially since you didn't have a spring and Drew Pine was here and you didn't get an opportunity to, to narrow the gap with, with Brendan Clark. I, th- I think it's Clark automatic at this point. Um, but, like without said, spring, one, one spring practice, that's you're, you know, he wouldn't even have a chance to go in. Greg, I'm not sure how to pronounce Greg's last name and I should know this. Greg flaming, flaming, flaming. There's been a lot of talk about QB regression in year two under Brian Kelly, and yet no quarterback during his Notre Dame tenure has started a third straight season. The two previous quarterbacks in Notre Dame to start three straight seasons, Brady Quinn and Jimmy Clausen, both saw huge jumps in their third seasons. Is there something that's been overlooked when evaluating Book and what he could be in 2020? I think I'll let you guys get into the details, but I think just from apples to apples, the third straight season to me matters less than Ian books in his fifth year and Jimmy Clauston and Brady Quinn were in their third year uh, in the program when it was their third straight season. So it's, if you can imagine what Ian book like looked like or would have looked like as a freshman when he was redshirting, And then when he was a sophomore and he played briefly against uh, North Carolina uh, and then LSU at the end, like that's, that's a big, I mean, I guess you could look at Ian Book made a huge jump in his third year as well. Um, But I think that that has a lot more to do with being a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and fifth-year senior than it does just being in your third year. Yeah, the the issue, I guess, for us here answering this question is we all kind of agree that Ian Book's going to have a good year, and we're not overlooking him that much. I mean, I I think we all believe he's a top three player on Notre Dame's team, college player, and we'll have a very good year. And part of it is because he's so experienced, he's seen it all. Um, the one thing I think we got to be careful of is Brady Quinn had Maurice Stovall, Matt Shelton, Jeff Samarja, Anthony Fasano, and Darius Walker in his third year. And Jimmy Clauston had Golden Tate, Michael Floyd, Kyle Rudolph. I would like Ian Book 
a lot going to this year as a Heisman candidate if you had some combination of what I just said. Or last year's or last year's receiving core. Yeah, I have you even. Although I guess well, I'll take actually I'll take yeah, Floyd. Get, I'll take I'll take Floyd and Teddy. No, no, no. You could have yeah, last no. year's receiving yeah, core. No, no, I, I just, I'm <laughs> saying even last year's, yes. but but Komet hadn't developed yet. I, you know, I get in this argument on a fairly frequent basis. What guy that starts for three years isn't better his third year than he was his second or his first? Or, or you know, I do the the first rate series, and I had some people jumping on me about the the receiving core, and and rightfully so. But it's like you're basing it upon based upon last year's stats. Well, yeah. And a guy, yeah, I mean, because a guy generally, if he had good stats the year before, is going to have better stats the next year. I mean, when doesn't that happen? Doesn't that happen way more often than it doesn't? But I guess the second, but part of the question was the second year regression as opposed to the third year. Of course, there just aren't many third years. The second year regression uh, is fairly real for, for the Browns. Well, it is, but yeah. Deshaun Kaiser, number one, brought that on himself. And number two, they lost their top three receivers from the yeah. previous year like they did this past year, uh, you know, which I, which I think is a red flag and something to, to always be concerned of. But I think we're all high on Ian Book having a good year if he can develop some chemistry with his young, his young uh, receiving core. He from 32, over under on Ian Book, 36 TDs and 3,234 passing yards, which is oddly specific. <laughs> I'd, I'd go under on both of those. I, I don't think his stats are going to be as good as they were last year because – you don't have Cole Komet and Chase Claypool and Chris Fink to throw to, um, you know, and it's ultimately, I, I think that Ian book sees it. People are going to jump all over Ian book for his stats coming down. Um, but like who really cares if he doesn't mop the floor with Western Michigan um, the way that he did with New Mexico and Bowling Green. I just, I, I don't know. Statistically for Ian book, like did you beat Wisconsin? Then you had a good year. Did you beat Wisconsin and Clemson? Then you had a great year. I don't care if you throw for 20 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. If you won both of those two games, you had a good year. Yeah, I don't a know. single Notre Dame fan that disagrees with Pete right now. I, Pete, I, I think you're overestimating the stats. I mean, they, they just want the wins. <laughs> with it, to say 36 touchdown receptions, go ahead and divvy them up among the receivers. And what, I, I, don't, I can't get to 36 now because, because I, our opinion about – Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay and Ben Skoranek and Lawrence Keyes. And I mean, it's going to be different after the year because they will have played a whole season in a, in a crew to a, a level of stats that we don't see right now. You know yeah, I mean, Quinn threw 37 in his highest year. Yeah. Um, he needs 39 to break Quinn's record, which I've thrown out there just because it added up, but I, I don't see that happening. <laughs> the yardage. Uh, I'm a little bit more open to that happening, but. Uh, I agree with you guys. I, I think that's under. I kind of hope the yardage doesn't happen because I think you have a better running game if that yeah. yardage doesn't well, happen. You do, right. And I do think, you know, I've said this and Tommy Reese agreed with it when I kind of phrased the question around it that, you know, he does he does want to be a coordinator that runs the ball consistently. Um, and we have a question coming up that I, I'll, I'll address some of that a little bit further. CMU Pence fan, if Ian Book and Robert Hainsey return as captains, and Dalen Hayes and Sean Crawford seem like sure bets. Who would you name as the other three captains if they decided to name seven again? I mean, your SWAT team leaders right. that we're not talking about, I'm going to miss some of them here, but like Ade Vendeja is one, Drew White is one, Brock Wright, Liam Eichenberg, Tommy Kramer, uh, because Tommy Kramer sent me a DM reporting <laughs> me that he was, in fact, the SWAT team captain when I forgot to mention it. Nick um, Seth. Nick Asaph was one. Um, Kurt Heinisch, did you say? I'm sorry. Yeah, Heinisch was one as well. I I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm tempted to say, like, for the sake of position um, variability, that you'd go more with, like, a Drew White and maybe, like, Brock Wright. I'm not sure he's played enough, um, even though I think he's got a good locker room presence about him. Um you know, they've had two offensive linemen before. Um, I don't, I don't see why you couldn't go that route again, but you know, it's like, but last year it's like they had two safeties and two defensive ends. Yeah. yeah. And that seemed to work out fine. Um, if they get to seven, um, my high, um, including Hayes and Crawford, I, I mean, Hayes is, 
Hayes is the biggest given in Notre Dame sports that he's going to be named the captain this year, right? They could not have a yeah. season and he's going to be named the captain. Um, Crawford and Brock Wright is an interesting thing because I think Brock Wright, everything we've heard is emerged now as a leader, right? He was never in any position to lead before. Right. Um, but I don't think, I mean, the, the players vote. I don't think the players don't, I think the players just remember how Brock Wright is leading now. So he could be a captain. Um, I remember, was it, I don't know if it was Brian, I don't want to misquote one of the coaches, was it Brian Kelly or um, Clark Lee that mentioned that Sean Crawford, this would be his first chance to lead as well. Like he's a sixth year guy, but with so many injuries, he wasn't really in a leadership role. And look, as Pete, you said, two safeties. Obviously he wasn't the voice of that room last year of, of the defensive backs. Uh, I think Eichenberg is a pretty good bet. I think they'll just go two offensive linemen again. Uh, I, well, first of all, I don't think they'll go to seven. CMU Pensman didn't say seven again. There were eight last year, right? They there, just, were, they there, just there were 14 giving, last year. Right? People. Yeah, they just keep naming people. Uh, like. I, don't, I don't think they'll go to seven. I, I think uh, if they go to seven, Mick Asaph is the seventh. Well, that's – I don't think yeah, he's going to be the fourth or fifth, of course, but I think that if they go to seven, there's a reason for it. Yeah, and and now that's a walk on that I could that I could support as a captain because I think that he's I think that he's I think he's really really earned that. But I would say Brock Wright would be the first name that I would say. Adeogundeji would be the next one that I would say. I don't know that, and this isn't anything against Kurt Heinisch. I just don't know that. I just think Kurt Heinisch just needs to play nose tackle and and, and be as good as he possibly can be. Uh, Tagovailoa Mosa is a is a potential captain as well, but I don't think in Kramer and I don't, I mean, don't you think Kramer would be a captain ahead of Eichenberg? No, I don't. I think it's the other way around. I, yeah. I think okay. Eichenberg would be. What about a Usu Koromoa? I mean, he's, I don't think that he needs that responsibility. I, I think he just needs to be a great Rover, which he was trending to at the end of last year. Uh, but that, I mean, could be his level of play you know, certainly takes him up to that yeah. level, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he would be, I don't, that's not one of my first guesses. I wonder if he, uh, just his, I'm saying that remember we're getting to seven again. So I'm just wondering if a guy, his work ethic is I'm, I'm told through the roof. So that's why I wonder if that type of thing rubs off as being one of the captains yeah. too, where you're, when you have judge, seven different things, <laughs> judge Arthur Vandalay, who are the wild cards in the 2020 team whose performance will dictate whether or not Notre Dame can reach the college football playoffs. Uh, I'm going to go a different answer than everybody else. If the offensive line isn't one of the top two offensive lines in the country, they won't reach college football playoffs because there won't be anybody else good enough on the team to make up for it. Ian Book won't be that good without a great offensive line. The running backs won't be that good. Austin and, Len- Austin and Lindsay won't be able to be difference makers because they need absolutely, absolutely have to win on the offensive line. There's no other way Notre Dame could be a playoff team with USC, Wisconsin, and Clemson if their offensive line isn't great. Yeah, Pittsburgh, go. Pittsburgh's got a great defensive line as well. I, the offensive line would be number one, and then I would say whoever the safety is next to Kyle Hamilton. Um, you, know, you, can't, you can't have a weakest link at the back of your defense. Yeah. Um, otherwise, teams are going to figure out where that is, and Kyle Hamilton's not going to be able to make a whole lot of plays because they're just going to be throwing and, and working over the other guy. Looking at from a, a little different perspective, uh, more individually, uh, somebody like Jen Markeith, who's a senior, you know, you need you, you need him to kind of like the, what you said, Pete, with the safety. You you need that guy next to Drew White. Uh, not that not that Lamb won't play a significant role, but I, you need you you need that every down guy. I think they're at least first and second down. And then I look at a guy like um, Ovia Gofu. I think. You know, I, I think he's one of the most overlooked guys heading into the season. I know that he's behind Dalen Hayes. I think Dalen Hayes could pop over to the, the big end position and take some snaps away from Justin Adamiola, uh, which which opens things up for, for a Gofu who I think is has a chance to be really good. And then, you know, wild cards, a guy like Avery Davis, Lawrence Keyes isn't completely established. Could he be a slot guy that really steps forward? Ben Skoranek. Um, and I get maybe people would say Nick McLeod's a a wild card, but I think I say he's a starter from day one. I suppose I opened this can of worms on a previous comment. Uh, so I guess my wild card for one player is Chris Tyree. 
Yeah, sure. I think it's Chris Tyree and guys that are on Notre Dame's running back roster. That's the running back room. Yep. Zombie by the grace of God. Tremendous name. How different do you – it's Zom Hall, by the way, for people to do. Yeah, what out. hall did you live in? What hall grace. did you live in? You lived in grace. grace. Okay. Zombie by the grace of God. How different do you expect Tommy Reese's offense to look from last year? What changes, schematically speaking, will I notice? Not me, but him. I, I, I don't, don't think it's going to look that different. Do you? I think, uh, I, mean, I think if you watched the Iowa State game with the move fullback, there'll just be a lot more of it than there was – because Tommy Tremble's good at it. I said fullback. You know what I mean? H-back, Tommy Tremble. The second, the two tight ends yeah. is going to, I think, going to be a, a very important part of it this year. I shouldn't say fullback. He's a pretty fast fullback. If that's the case. Pete, I, I, I tend to agree with you that it won't be significantly different. You do have that veteran offensive line, so you should be able to you know, run the football a bit more. You've got, you still have your best blocking tight end in Brock Wright. I think it's more, I mean, I look at this more like Tommy Reese probably won't make the call that Chip Long made uh, with the game-winning score by Ian Book against Virginia Tech. It takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of guts to call a run play on third down with no timeouts left inside the 10-yard line. I mean, they probably get to the line of scrimmage again on fourth down, but they're hurried. And I don't think that he makes... I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think that he can make that call yet or Braden Lindsay the reverse against USC when it was the absolute perfect time to make that call uh, or yeah. Tony Jones' swing pass against USC at USC in 2018 when it was the perfect time to make that call. I just, Tommy Reese doesn't have enough experience doing it to make those perfect type calls per se. The one I, I was think thinking of the kind of difference that uh, Zombie Grace of God is hoping to see. I'm sure. I'm sure. I just think I it's going to take a little uh, bit more time. Yeah, yeah because I agree. I, he is I, called, I agree with what you're saying. He's called um, a game from a position of strength. Like that was uh, not that it was all easy, but he's called Tommy Reese's game was a position of strength. So anything you want to dial up when you're winning and you're confident and you're much better than the other team is a little easier to dial up. Would you agree with that? Like, hey, well, there weren't any. Let's athletes. just go ahead and take a shot. Iowa We're going to win this game. You know, Iowa State had so few athletes on the defensive side yeah. of the ball. Yes, I do agree with. I didn't completely realize that till we were sitting in a press box and the game starts on full. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're not that fast. Sigils, who is your ideal choice at kick returner and punt returner? And he has two requests: make a pick from an upperclassman, and then either a redshirt freshman or true freshman. Uh, well, I want Lindsay to be the kick returner baseball we saw against Iowa State because he was decisive and explosive, and that's the guy that that you want. I guess Lawrence Keys maybe is the punt returner uh, among the uh, non-freshmen, and then anything involving Chris Tyree, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let let him go ahead and field those punts or take those kickoffs if it comes if it comes down to that. I completely agree with everything you just said. Yeah, the only other but, name I threw in to, uh, for fielding punts was uh, Xavier Watt. For, uh, just to get another name in there. I thought about him. I did think about him. BP6161. The last time a podcast was recorded, we need to get to the COVID era, back to the COVID uh, portion of our podcast. The (laughs) last time a podcast was recorded, the tone was positive regarding the upcoming season. Everyone seemed optimistic that it would go forward on time, but it would look different due to COVID-19. Where do you stand now? I mean, I'm apprehensive. Um, that the season's going to have some stops and starts in it um, or some really uh, abrupt changes where, you know, Notre Dame goes on the road and like three starters are out that week that we don't know about until the game or like some version of that is happening around the country in various spots. Um, I just, I think there's going to be a season I don't think everyone's going to play 12 games. Uh, and I think some of it is just going to be really bizarre where teams have to sideline starters uh, at a moment's notice due to positive tests. I just, I just don't think it's going to be like anything we've ever seen before. And hopefully it won't be like anything we ever see again. I think I agree mostly with uh, your first part. There'll be a season, your third part. It's going to be really weird with positive tests at very inopportune times. But I do think if you mean stops and starts, like if they stop anything and you're, and you're canceling games, I don't think they come close to 12 games. So I think you're either playing 12 games 
or the season gets shut down for some reason because this gets worse. I don't, I don't see a stopping point of saying, no, you know, let's, let's shut this down for a bit. And then I'm going to continue at any point later on in the year. That, that's where I totally that's not agree. What you meant, Pete. Yeah. If it, if it stops, I don't see it restarting. No, I, I mean, like maybe a team has lost so many players that they're, they can't play um, a week. <laughs> I, I don't think the season is going to get shut down from like um, an NCAA level or a government level where a state says, all right, all of our teams are not playing anymore. Um, I just, I can see some games like, you know, one, maybe, maybe an area really does get bad and they're like, okay, we have to play this game later or it's postponed. I'm, I'm not really sure how that's going to work, but I just think it's, there, it's going to, there's going to be some abrupt uh, swings in the season that are just unlike anything we've ever seen before. We haven't been able to predict the next day since the middle of March, let alone what's going to happen. You yeah, know? I mean, I just, just look at what's going on right now. Like Indiana is in a pretty good spot right now. South Carolina is not um, just like different parts of the country are experiencing this in completely different ways right now. And you're Notre Dame and you're playing teams for different parts of the country. That's, that can be pretty difficult. And I don't necessarily, you know, I think there's the reaction that, Oh, look at all these positive tests. That's a bad thing. Considering the nature of the virus, it, you know, the more that that, if it's going to happen, the more it happens now, the better, as opposed to, you know, later, of course. So, I don't know. We don't know what the hell we're talking about this, with this. We, I, <laughs> I mean, we are. It's just like total speculation. It's about speculating for a month about a bowl game. I have one more. Spe- well, if they have slow guys, we're going to speculate from now on. The Nordians going to run past them. But <laughs> yeah, that's- that was that actually wasn't a really good analogy. So scratch that, Jack. Cut that out of there. <laughs> with, uh, Terry Benedict, the okay. punishment for a head coach that knowingly plays a player who might have COVID should be might. Or does it says might let's say does. I mean, if you played a player that you knew had tested positive, like that, you're you're suspended as the head coach. What and about might and how would might work into it? How you how do you? I don't know what might was like. Uh, I think, contact contact with uh, a, oh okay. contact uh, with a right. Yeah, you're right. The four guys that are yeah. self quarantined well, like they tested negative. Yeah. Um, you know, that's then test them again before the game starts. Um, yeah, might might is tough. I don't I don't really know what might would be, but very start very high if they uh, know they have COVID and they play them. Uh, yeah, real high. <laughs> uh, Matt's Rogers asked if you could ask Brian Kelly any question and be guaranteed an honest non coach answer, what would it be? Hmm. O'Malley, why don't you go first on this? Yeah, one? <laughs> I was going through a few of these in my head. I think it would honestly be when did you decide Notre Dame? was your last stop when it was Notre Dame what you wanted out of your coaching career because obviously it wasn't your three right and probably not your four um so I'd like to know when he thought Notre Dame even if it's not his last stop in his mind he's thinking that's his last stop as a coach guys unretire all the time in this profession of course but when he really became he was Notre Dame's coach not an upwardly mobile coach mm. uh, uh my yeah, go ahead Pete no I was gonna say I I was, I'm sort of torn between like what the heck happened after the Alabama game until you decided to come back. Um, like basically a blow by blow of the Philadelphia Eagles situation and how he handled it. Um, or just like the terms of his contract right now. I'm curious how the Notre Dame actually works that. Uh, mine would be a little bit more recent. I'd want to know whether your football team was overtrained after the USC game and before the Michigan game. And did your play, players play with, heavy legs. Now you may recall that I tried to ask him that in the press conference on Monday, right after Michigan. And he wanted to know, he said he wanted questions about the upcoming week and not what had just happened. So maybe it was answered. uh, You should have phrased that question. Like some people get phrased, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) I would, yes, that would be, that would be uh, that, that what I would like to know. Although, I think I kind of know the answer, so maybe I don't need to ask that. And we will conclude with uh, this question from LaGrange Domer 101. If slash when Notre Dame and Navy kick off the start of the season, what one word would describe how you are feeling at that moment? I have many words, but I'll go with one. Would be, uh, I mean, I'd be excited. That'd be great. I admit, but there, it's not just one thought. There's a lot going with it. 
So go ahead with your one word first, guys. Yeah, I, I guess I would be grateful that I was there. So gratitude. I would be apprehensive that I was there. <laughs> <laughs> because it's funny you said that. I would. I yes, I know. I know. <laughs> I, will be, I will be hitting the magic number. I will have a nice round number of age by the time that game is played. And uh, fifty-two. I'm at no. That's not it. <laughs> that's not the number. Um, I. You know, I'm. I, I frankly, I'm apprehensive about going to airports, getting on planes, being in enclosed press boxes, uh, getting in Ubers, getting in, you know, I mean, there's a million things to be apprehensive about being on the road when you turn 60. By, Not that it wouldn't uh, happen when I was 59, but I'm just saying right. it's a round number. <laughs> My words were uh, the same as yours, but I needed to use one more. But uh, apprehensive about the travel I just did. Uh, relieved that there's a season, excited, and if I'm not there, really annoyed that I'm not in the press box covering a game from home. So grateful would be one I didn't write down and should have. Be grateful right. to be there. So, yeah, yeah, I think going to be, be uh, uh, great, grateful and gratitude sort of assumes things are okay. Yeah. Um, okay, right. And I'll, but I would also probably add tired that I just drove 12 hours from South Bend to Annapolis because that's what's going to happen. Oh, oh. I, I booked a flight to Baltimore. I got a one way to Baltimore. I haven't booked the return trip because we still don't know <laughs> what game is going to happen. <laughs> wow, this is a terrible game. <laughs> <That's pessimistic. laughs> no, no, I don't know if it's going to be played on Saturday or Sunday. Oh, okay. I'm book the, the, <laughs> no, I don't think. I don't You're think in I'll, the last page of books now, too. What's going I don't on? think I'll expire <laughs> in the press box <laughs> at the Naval Academy. I'm hoping. <laughs> guys thanks for joining uh thanks for participating today thanks for listening this has been irish illustrated insider thank you for listening to the irish illustrated insider podcast if you enjoy our coverage of notre dame football please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation go to irishillustrated.com slash support Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.